All right. We are joined now by Matthew R. Morris, an author of, uh, I believe, a, a, a selection of nonfiction essays. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. So the, the, the topic is black boys like me. And I guess the question is, what does it mean to be a young black man with an immigrant father and a white mother? Is that the is that the jumping off point for a lot of these stories? Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And, um, you know, the one thing that kind of persuaded me to to want to share some of the stories that I've experienced in my life is the fact that often when we think about the black experience, we're, we because we're in such close proximity to America and American culture infiltrates our society in Canada. I wanted to write about blackness and my experience of being, you know, a young black male growing up in inner city Toronto, but what that looked like from a Canadian perspective. And, you know, one of the goals was to shatter some of the stereotypes that prevail around blackness and black masculinity and black identity in Canada. That's a, that's a very, uh, that's a laudable goal because, you know, on so many fronts, not just your personal experience, but generally speaking, we as a country, um, we go for the, I mean, the path of least resistance when it's about uh, telling stories, which means yeah. we, we will just adopt an American persona in a lot of ways because it's what everybody knows rather than do the harder work of telling our own individual stories that differ from the American experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the narratives that we like to believe is that, you know, we are not as we're not anything like America. And, you know, the idea that racism and these these negative things that exist in America don't exist here. And to the extent that they exist south of the border, of course, they do not exist like that in Canada. But there is some internal internalized prejudice and some internalized bias that still does exist. And again, you know, the idea that racism, it, it's such a it's so prevalent in in society in North American culture that, you know, to ignore it and be and, and think that, you know, we are benevolent to it is um it doesn't do us justice and for me i work i've worked over a decade in the education system as a teacher in elementary schools and i've seen it firsthand so you know this was part of my offering my art to try to eradicate some of the systemic injustices that uh, still prevail in society well matthew why don't you tell us about some of the stereotypes that you were looking to challenge in your storytelling yeah okay so I'll give you, you know a, a broad example uh, when i was you know coming up as a young high school student and a young black male. I grew up in the east east end of Toronto in Scarborough, Ontario. There was this hidden kind of um, implicit idea that if you um, wanted to exist and be validated as a young black male, you could do so in, you know, maybe you could be an athlete, you could be an entertainer, or unfortunately, you could, you know, exist in criminality and, and anything outside of that um, to in a positive form was looked at in a way of like being a, a black exceptional and yeah. and for me you know i think that that still exists and i want to with this with this goal and with this book i want to shatter some of those ideas and 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 show you know the next generation of young black children particularly black males coming up that the idea of being boxed into particular stereotypes um, whether placed on us by ourselves or being placed on us by the outside culture is something that we need to break out of and something that we need to shatter. Well, I, I had um, the honor of uh, sitting for a, a lunch honoring Wes Hall a few weeks ago as a nation builder in Canada. And he pointed out that he was prepared to be the first. Uh, he was prepared to be the only one 
at the table who looked like him because he knew that in a matter of time he he wouldn't be the only one. He would be one of many. And 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 it, he really uh, he lives by the the credo that you you can't be what you can't see. And he wants he wants young black men to be able to see his success as their potential success. And are are you are you saying that the black experience is not limited to those buckets that you described? However, in popular culture, we perhaps highlight those things, making it seem like those are the only paths to success, even though they're not. Exactly. And it sort of becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. the chicken and the egg, this dilemma of, you know, the cyclical experience that happens. For me, you know, I grew up and I was inclined to athletics and I love sports and I ended up earning a scholarship and I write about it in, in, in my book. But I don't necessarily know if I was so inclined to the point where teachers continue to validate me in sports when I was still doing decent and doing good actually in school where I could have been pushed in other areas and other other genres. And the idea that, you know, a black person is the first still yeah. in this day and age in 2024 is this something that we need to continue to break down the barriers for the, you know, it's just the, the idea of black yeah. exceptionalism is is a part of a continuum that we need to continue to eradicate. And, and where, where did you feel that pressure as, as somebody who ended up becoming a writer and a speaker and an elementary educator? Yeah. Uh, you've got an MA in social justice education, you know. The, and the intellectual rigor was clearly something that you were drawn to. Um, where did you feel pressure and or rather, did you feel pressure to maybe abandon that in favor of, like I said, those 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 streams that people thought were most likely for a person with your melanin? Yeah, generally speaking, these are the visible and the invisible communications that are whispered to black boys like me yeah. well, particularly when i was growing up and these are explicit and implicit dialogue that exist in in culture right yeah. even even in you know uh, a diverse city like toronto it was still this idea that if i was going to pursue anything that pertained to academics or intellectual rigor somehow it was shedding particular parts of my blackness so to speak yeah. right I, I have a chapter in my book called the fresh prince syndrome and i in in that chapter i highlight the dichotomy between you know will smith on the one hand and carlton banks on the other hand yeah. these are the two tropes of black maleness so to speak where it's on one hand if you need if you want to exist in a particular way you're maintaining your authenticity as a black person but somehow disavowing your you know academic or intellectual you know statue yeah. and on the other hand if you if you go towards prioritizing that and maintaining it somehow you're stripped of your blackness in a way and that's that's precisely what i'm trying to you know erase or I, write over so that's to speak. interesting I'd, I'd actually never looked at it like like two sides i mean it's a shame that it's two sides of a coin because there there should be there should be myriad examples between the two uh, and and you're saying that it's one or the other. Um, I, I wish we could talk for longer, Matt. Uh, but how how can people find your book? Yeah, so it's it's available where all bookstores are sold. Obviously, you know, support your independent bookstores in your communities, Black Boys Like Me. And you could also find me on Instagram at Matthew R. Morris for more. Matthew R. Morris, I really appreciate your time today. Some some really eye opening aspects of this conversation, and I wish we could continue it. But I'm just going to wish you a very good Sunday and the best of luck with your book. 
you as well.